saving us through the sacrifice of your son. You saved us, O oh God, with much purpose, Lord. It was all of your doing, and we thank you for it, Father. Father, what can I say? What can I do? I feel the weight, Lord. But from where does my help come if it is not from thee, Lord? Father, remind us, Lord God, that this is a sacred time because you are the most sacred being. Father, help us to not take this time lightly, Father God, for we come. We come to speak of you, Father God, and what a futile effort it is, O oh God. And therefore, we ask, I ask for your help, Father. I ask for help, Lord. For I have done what I can, Father, and you know. You know. But as it is said, that where the strength and ability of the man ends, so faith begins. So, Father God, we ask that you be with us. And, oh God, as your chosen vessel that is still difficult to believe, Father God, I mostly ask that you be with me, Lord. Be pleased to move, Father God. Grant us through this study, O oh God, a greater sense of your majesty and a greater vision of Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. As you could probably tell, this is not a game for me. Boy, do I feel the weight. But it is good that I feel the weight so that I may remain dependent. And that whatever good can come from this study, we know who did it. There's a well-known preacher that is very, very popular. He's known to say that preaching and teaching is the most difficult thing you can do. It is the most difficult because of your awareness of your constant failure and that failure being uh, your attempt to glorify and speak of Christ and exalt Christ how he ought to be exalted. And again, I do feel that sense of failure. Not only me, even many figures from church history felt the same way, saying that though we can describe some of the attributes in some detail, attributes of God, because of the infinite, incomprehensible nature of God, it is near futility to attempt. They felt that what cannot be said about God 
is closest to the truth about God. The way that I, I have formatted this lesson, um, of course, there's going to be a flow. There's uh, bullet points. Um, but I kind of like, in preparation for this lesson, again, man, it's, it's, it's convicting um, in the sense that it is so easy, I often say, it is so easy to feel like a hypocrite up here. Because I'm about to teach on Christ as if I know him. So help me God. But also, like, the implications of prayer that knowledge is not enough. I love, you guys, some of you guys heard me quote this. I love the quote from John Bunyan. He says, anything, any truth that I have learned well, I have learned on my knees for when I separate myself from the word of God, it is on my knees that God burns it in my heart through prayer. So my goal, uh, the way I formatted this um, in my intro and conclusion, is that I pray that this study, this lesson, can really compel us all, uh, can really kindle a holy, earnest desire to diligently seek the face of God, man. A couple weeks ago, I was watching a, a panel discussion with John Piper. It wasn't, the topic wasn't related. However, during the panel uh, uh, discussion, Piper was asked the question, uh, what is the purpose of humanity? Like, why am I here? He's, he, was, he was given like the scenario, if somebody were to come up to you and ask that such question, what would you say? And I'm paraphrasing, but Piper answers. He says, the most important person in the universe is the creator of the universe. And he created humanity, listen, so that we may know him and enjoy him forever. And to live lives that glorify him and magnify how great he is as our creator. He then goes on to say, the problem is we don't. The problem is we don't. We don't know God as we ought. We don't live lives that glorify God as we ought. And I thought to myself, man, this is an indictment on the, on the, on the contemporary church. I believe that's still not going on. How and what we think about God is in direct proportion to how we worship God. Tozer, A.W. Tozer, says, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. It affects absolutely everything. It affects our trust of him. You cannot trust a God you don't know. It affects how we serve him. It affects our worship of him. It affects our attitude of sin towards sin. It, it affects how we approach him in prayer. Am I the only one who like who like, can sense this flippancy in certain people's prayer? Or are you guys' antennas up too? 
Lord, I just want to, uh, I'll be like, this dude don't know he's talking to God. Am I the only one? Do you guys feel the same way? Knowing God absolutely affects everything. And this is why the study of God, a.k.a. theology proper, is so important. Because a correct view of God gives us a correct view of ourselves. To know God correctly is to understand our obligation to him. You will quickly come to know that you are subservient to God. And being subservient, it implies that you are to obey him. Do what he says. Worship him as, as he calls you to. To love him with, with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. How often do we fall short? Without this view, this correct view of God and thus correct view of man, without this view, the gospel has no saving effect because we wouldn't understand our need of Christ, our need of God. Therefore, it is just to say that a low view of God destroys the gospel. And I want to ask the question, if we get the mics ready, I want to ask the question, what other negative effects are there when you have a low view of God? Pastor Paul. You have a low view of sin. A low view of God, you have a low view of sin. Amen. Amen. Anyone else? How does a low view of God... Oh, Brother Frank. A, a sense of personal sovereignty over God's sovereignty. Amen. 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 Anyone else? Amen. A low view of God creates false religions. They're not even worshiping the real God. Self-righteous religiosity and man-centered theology. I love to remind Arminian thinkers, my man, do you understand that Christianity is not about you, it is for you? It's not about you. It's for you. Humble yourself. We must have a correct view of God. So before we get to the attributes of God, I'm not going to cover it in detail because I don't want to step on the toes of my fellow teachers. Um, so I'm going to just comprise them in categories to better understand them. But before we do that, there are two fundamental questions that we need to ask. And that is, does God exist? And us as Christians, we're like, dude, of course, but let's get into it. Does God exist? And if he does, is it possible to know God? And to what degree? These are fundamental questions we need to ask ourselves. So let's start with the existence of God. There are, there are a number, there's, a, there's only a few ways Right? I, I'm going to summarize them in three points. And Tony, get ready because I'm going to put you on the spot to do so. The three C's. Um, there, there, there's, there's three general bullet point ways. But just through my study, I discovered a lot of uh, terms and even arguments of, of, of use to prove the existence of God. You can refer to your notes to follow along. The first is general, general revelation. Or as Calvin puts it, knowledge of God as creator, the works 
of God bear witness of him. Number two, special revelation. And I like how Calvin put this one, knowledge of God as redeemer. There's also number three, an innate sense that bears witness to the existence of God. And this can be broken down in two ways. That is the innate sense of deity. The innate sense of deity. This is why sinful man is so prone to create and worship idols. He innately knows there's just something greater. And he just, what did he do? He exchanged creation for, I'm sorry, he exchanged creator for, the, for, for his creation. The second innate sense is our conscience. And we, we obviously see that in Romans 2. Number four, religious epistemology, which is a theory of how humanity knows God exists. This was set forth by Calvin in his Institutes. And what he means is the knowledge of self, saying that it is, if we are to just simply analyze our intellect, just consider our intellect, our artistic abilities, the problem is that sinful man, in their pride, confuse the, 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 the difference between attaining the gift and the exercising of it. They fail to realize that they can only work with what they have been given. Thus, a more sober and careful consideration of one's gifts and talents and intellectualism, etc., would, would inevitably lead them to the knowledge of the living God. For it is the pride of man that has deceived them to believe that they are responsible for both. I had to read that because just this was just a thought that was inspired by Calvin's thoughts. Number five, scripture. John 5, 39. And it is they, the scripture, that bear witness about me. And number six is philosophical arguments spearheaded by Anselm and Thomas Aquinas. Uh, these arguments are quite apologetical, and they are to prove the existence of God. I listed the arguments that, man, I do not have time to get, in, get into them. But they are the ontological argument, cosmological argument, and teleological argument. However, we can summarize all of these points with just three. Brother Tony, you want to do that for us? Because we had this conversation. Um, creation, conscience. And canon. Amen. Thank you, brother. Creation, conscience, and canon. I think it's, an, I think it's important to, to note that the Bible suggests that man's knowledge of God is an understood fact. Paul leaves no room for doubt. In Romans one twenty one, he says, For although Gentiles knew God, like... It was already assumed they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. Paul left no room for doubt. Hence why in the previous verse, he has they have no excuse. And why don't they have any excuse? Because what can be known about God has been made plain to them by him and all that he has created. You know, when I think about creation, when I think about nature... <laughs> Have you guys ever seen like a like the most exquisite 
artwork and say, yo, who did that? That's the effect that nature should have, have upon us. Pastor Paul, you want to say something? Uh, in 1934, uh, and um, we'd come back from church, and we're sitting in the Hupmobile, that we were going to go to another place for a lunch, and my stepbrother went into the house, and there was a thunderstorm, and uh, I saw something that I have never forgotten. Mm. I saw a red ball of fire come down from heaven. Wow to strike the maple tree. Uh, it, was, it was so vivid. I can just see it so clearly. Wow. I just add one more thing. In Ecclesiastes 3.11, it says that God had placed eternity in our hearts, which means that the, the knowledge of God is inculcated in each one of us, Amen. and that's the reason why there's so many religions. Uh, why is there religion? Because the knowledge of God is there, only it's twisted and converted, like it says in Genesis 1. Amen. Amen, brother. Thank you. Amen. And it's funny you mentioned thunderstorms because... That was like kind of my next comment on, on just my reflections on creation. I often joke around, but it's true. Um, have you ever just looked out of a mirror, uh, not a mirror, a window, and um, while it's pouring out rain, and just think to yourself, yo, God is watering his plants. <laughs> it, <laughs> Psalm 65, 9 and 10 says, you visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain for so you have prepared it. You, you, you water its furrows abundantly, setting its ridges, softening it with showers and blessing its growth. I mean... It can seem pretty silly to marvel at rain. But as Christians, shouldn't we? Therefore, the, 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 the problem is not the testimony of God in creation, conscience, and canon. The problem is clearly the suppression of such truth in sinful man. For it is the fool that says there is no God. I want to pause before we go to point two to ask if there's any questions or comments. Pastor Bob. You, you mentioned about rain, how we take it for granted. Yeah. Well, that's because we have not suffered a real drought, drought. or famine. Mm. And I've often wondered, you know, back in the 1930s, the Great Depression was started by the breadbasket of America just having no rain for a long period of time, the wheat didn't grow, the soy didn't grow, mm. that, that killed the economy. And you wonder when the Lord will send judgment and turn the, turn the skies to bronze. Mm. You, you don't appreciate the rain until it's taken away for a long period of time. Yeah, and I believe shadows of that could even be seen in California with the lack of water. Uh, Pastor Paul? Uh, you talked about John Piper. I'm sorry? You talked about John Piper. Yes, yes. He wrote an article about rain. You tell me how uh, a drop can fall thousands of feet and, and, and still remain intact. That's Amen. amazing. And then he Amen. says, and how, how do you bring rain? How, how do you bring water up the sky and then bring it down again? Hey. What an article. I have some of them. I have to bring in 
Amen. I mean, let's just continue to marvel at nature. Why not, right? Have you guys, when it has snowed outside, just glanced at the snowflakes, the design of them? Isn't that amazing? Like, I can't tell you in my study, I could just look out the mirror and just see a, a, a cardinal fly and just pick a berry. I'm like, God just fed that dude. That's like so incredible to me. That's so incredible to me. <laughs> Sister Anne Marie? Yeah, I was also thinking about how perfect God's design is when we think of the four seasons. Yes. Amen. And how they reflect the four seasons of life mm. from spring being like the conception and summer being the birth and fall being the maturity and winter being the death. Mm. And how God keeps repeating that cycle and he knows what each season needs perfectly. There's no coincidence that there's rain in April and the flowers begin to bloom in May and you know so it's like if you ever want to see God's perfect design we just need to ponder on the four seasons amen amen so how about global warming I'm just kidding (laughs) now we ain't gonna go there Uh, So now let's talk about the knowability of God. And the question posed is, if God does exist, is it possible to know God? And if so, to what degree? Of course, the answer is yes. But it is important to note that though though it is possible to know God, it is impossible to know him fully, completely, exhaustively. This leads us to the incomprehensibility of God. David in Psalm 145.3 says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Isaiah 40.28 says, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable Paul in 1 Corinthians 2 he says the spirit searches everything even the depths of God for who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him so also no one comprehends or can comprehend the thoughts of God except the spirit of God we can think also of Paul's doxology when he was reflecting on the majesty and grandeur and wisdom of God's design for salvation. In Romans eleven thirty three, he just burst out all the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. The next thing, the one thing to, to also note, considering the incomprehensibility of God is that we are not saying that he cannot be known. We mean that he cannot be fully known. With this idea of the incomprehensibility of God, a writer in the 6th century, his name is 
Dionysius, he took it a bit to the extreme. Uh, he developed what was called the apophatic approach, which is like the negative way of describing the inexpressibility of God. What he believed was that no one can define the reality of God because the cause of all things is beyond definition, beyond privations, beyond every denial, beyond every assertion. He goes on to say that we cannot truly say God is this and God is that. For his reality goes far beyond the distinctions we can make with our limited human language. However, there's a bit of a contradiction there, right? Because to say that God is inexpressible is to say something about God, right? And Augustine commented on that. He says, if the unspeakable is what cannot be spoken of, it is not unspeakable if it can be called unspeakable. However, though we, are, we aren't able to know God fully, we are able to know him truly and personally. What a, what a gift. The fact that our creator has given us means to know him. And he has taken the initiative to save us. Man, we should really meditate upon that more often. So first, the, what is the one thing that, the first thing I'm saying with, with knowing God truly is knowing facts about God. Well, one of the most common attributes you hear about God is God is good. What? All the time. <laughs> Dude, be killing me. Um, we also know that God is love, that God is spirit, that God is just, that God is merciful, that God is gracious, that God is righteous. We know this. By scripture. However, I kind of want to emphasize the personally and experientially and intimately knowing God. Because the Bible does imply a more intimate way of knowing him. Not merely knowing facts about God, but knowing him personally. Give a mic to Pastor Paul. I'm going to put him on the spot for a second. And the reason I'm going to do this, Pastor Paul, I'm sure you don't mind. I'll probably fail, so go ahead. No, no, no. I feel like that too. Okay. My brother, only because you have so uh, many times in, in private and public have shared about that one time, if I remember correctly, that you were, um, that you were on a train and you experienced, keyword God, and you, had, you stood up and said, of amazing memory my brother can you briefly don't yes, be greedy with my time no that is Just very kidding. vivid that is very vivid and it is something that I when I experienced that his presence be, um, so the rest can understand um, um, it was my first pastorate and uh, I would always it would, I have a two hour ride uh, a half hour by bus and an hour and a half by train and I would always read 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 but uh, I finished up, it was about 8 o'clock at night, 8.30, and I had a lot of books. I said, no, I'm just going to focus on the Lord. And for about 25 minutes, I just focused, just, just keep my mind stayed in him. And after a while, his presence became so powerful, so powerful, so, so powerful, real. 
so powerful that I stood up and else matters. And when you know the presence of the living God, nothing else matters. That is Amen. still so vivid. I'm, many years later, that's still so vivid. Amen. Amen. I don't know, for, for those of you who have studied church history, there's a lot of testimony like Pastor Paul's. And I really want to emphasize this distinction because I truly believe we don't take advantage of this meditation of this privilege of having the means to know God more intimately. And I want to make, I'm good with illustrations, at least that's how I think. So I want you to imagine that you have a secret admirer. And day after day, week after week, you're continuously getting letter after letter from your secret admirer. How well can you say you know that secret admirer through his letters? Wouldn't it be better to meet him? If that didn't work, I got another one. <laughs> so imagine that you are starving, dying of starvation, and you arrive at a restaurant and you start reading the menu. Are you satisfied? By reading the menu? My man, you're starving. You say, give me that bread of life. Should not the word of God whet our appetite to seek him that much more earnestly? In Brother. Um. The illustration that you made, um, and it's something that I've been studying a little bit. And in Hebrews one two, it says that um, uh, that uh, he is the radiant. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, what's interesting with Christianity that is different from every other false religion is that if the Savior has not come, if God has not come in the flesh, <clears throat> then the fullness of the revelation of God is not there. Mm. And it's only in Christianity that the Savior has come that we enter into eternal fellowship with him. So by all other um, religions, whether it's Jehovah's Witness or Mormons or, or Muslims that claim that their revelation is final, well, that would mean that the revelation was not made complete in Jesus uh. Christ and we don't have the fullness of knowledge of God and that it's not complete apart from him. Mm. And that's the only way that we can come to a relationship with God to understand his nature. Mm -hmm. Amen, my brother. Thank you, Frank. Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, uh, John 14. John 14. Uh, he just said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but me. And right after that, Philip says, uh, show us the Father and suffice to me. And then Jesus said, Philip, have I been so long with you? Don't you know who I am? He that has seen me has seen the Father. And I thought, I am the Father one. I just wanted because of what you're saying. Amen. Amen. Brothers, what I want to bring home in this section of my study is, again, my, I've, I told you I, I, I formatted this lesson with the intent, my, my intention to... God willing, kindle an earnestness in our prayer life and seeking the face of God.
I, what I want to emphasize is, is, is the gift that God is. Um, so there are many graces found in the Christian life, right? Justification, sanctification, future glorification, forgiveness of sins. But would you all agree that the greatest gift of the gospel is God himself? The greatest gift of the gospel is God himself. Listen to this. We have been given the gift of God the Father in our reconciliation to him through his son. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Speaking of salvation and the ministry of salvation, 2 Corinthians 5.18, Paul says, All this is from God, that is our salvation, our regeneration, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, the gift of the Father. We have been given the gift of Christ as the sacrifice for our salvation, and of course, many, many more. 1 Corinthians 1, it makes it clear that he is many more things. In 1 John 4.10, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Christ was given as a gift. But let's not get it twisted because for the joy set before him, Christ so willingly emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Let me ask you guys a question. In, um, in John 19, verse 30, have you guys ever meditated upon he bowed his head and gave up his spirit? Like, do you hear, like, do you sense the willingness? Because you, you do remember he did it willingly, right? He, when he says, no one takes it, my life, from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. He knew exactly why he was dying. Have you guys ever meditated on that? He, he gave up his spirit when you realize, yo, he gave it for me. You can see, start to perceive the gift of Christ. What a gift. We have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. To God be the glory. Not only has he forgiven us of our sins, he's like, I'm not going to leave you to live, continue to live in it. I'm going to seal you with the gift of my spirit to enable you to live the Christian life and bring glory to me. Ezekiel 36, 27, and I will put my spirit within you and do what? And cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. In Acts 1, verse 4 and 8, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. But to wait for the promise of the Father. The NIV renders it this way. But to wait for the gift 
my father has promised. And that is the baptism, the baptism of the spirit of God. And one way that we can perceive the gift that the spirit of God is, is by medita- meditating upon the ministries of the Holy Spirit. As far as sanctifier, illuminator, guides us to all truth. Do you realize that apart from him we wouldn't do it? But brothers, there's also an additional gift. And that is the gift of eternal life. And I want to ask the question because I want to challenge you guys. What is eternal life? Biblically speaking, what is eternal life? Paul? I see Paul. No, 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 no. Now, anybody, anybody want to share what is eternal life? It's not a trick question. What do you really, what is, what is, go ahead, my brother. Eternal life, life eternally in the presence of the Lord. Amen. Dag, I love that. Pastor Paul, I see you, I see you shaking. Well, um, it, my goodness, eternal, uh, if, if God is eternal and he is, and he has made us alive, then we have his life. Uh, uh, that's what eternal life is, his life. He said, I am the life, the way, the truth, and the life. So to eternal life is to have his life. Amen. Amen. What I would, oh, my sister, Marcia. Right here, T. Well, the scripture says that um, this is eternal life, that we may know God and his son, Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. Um, Earlier you were talking, and I thought about this because as we talk about God revealing himself, he reveals himself to us in the word. Amen. Through Christ specifically. Yes, but the word is the means to the end, Mm -hmm. Mm. is that we would know God. As he revealed himself in, t- in his word, he is the end of our pursuit. Amen. We don't stop with the scripture. I think A.W. Toza said that, you know, we don't stop there with the text. Amen. Or with the scriptures, because it's the means to the end, the end is Christ. Amen. And to that point, my sister, you know, in, in, in that same text in, in John 5, 39, when, when Jesus is, is, is rebuking and speaking to the Pharisees, you seek the scriptures as if in them you are to find eternal life, but yet you refuse to come to me. Notice that distinction there. What I want to argue with, my, with, with the definition of eternal life, and thank you, my sister, because you, you, that's exactly the verse that I was going to refer to in John 17, 3. What I want to argue is, argue is that eternal life is both quantitative and qualitative. Eternal life is both quantitative, our dear brother Darnell, uh, uh, be eternally in the presence of God. Uh, Eternal life implies everlasting life, right? Forever, quantity of time. But also, it is also qualitative because in that same text, our sister Marcia uh, cited in John 17, 3, that word know, that they know you, that word know is the Greek word ginosko, and what that, what that word is, that Greek rendering of that word, know is to gain a knowledge of by experience. 
So, right, I mean, it talks about like when, when a- Abraham knew his wife, like this, talk about intimacy. And as, as Pastor Paul noted in 1 John 5.20, eternal life is, is a person. It's Christ himself. He is the life. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may gnosko him, know him experientially, who is true. And we are in him who is true in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. I want to just read a couple commentaries uh, to drive home this qualitative point of knowing God with the hopes, again, that it stirs in us the seeking to do so. One commentator says, knowing God is not confined to intellectual knowledge, but entails living in fellowship with him. Knowing him in an intimate relationship that involves actually knowing God as a person. J.C. Rao comments, of course, we must distinctly understand that mere head knowledge like that of the devil is not meant by our Lord in this verse in John 17, 3. The knowledge he means is a knowledge that dwells in the heart and influences the life. It has a bearing upon your life. Nothing else matters because you know God. That affected your life. Man. Calvin, in reference to this experiential knowledge, says, It is not that knowledge which, content with empty speculation, merely flits in the brain. But that which will be sound and fruitful, it will have a bearing upon your life, it will bear fruit. If we duly perceive it, and if it takes root in the heart. Brothers, I believe that intellectualism can be the greatest stumbling block to your pursuit of God. Intellectualism can be one's greatest stumbling block in their pursuit of God. Because it's so easy to confuse knowing about God versus knowing him. My brother, Pastor Paul. I need to share it. Um, 23, 24, it says, Let not the rich man glory in his riches. Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. But let him that glorieth uh, glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord who delighteth in ri- judgment, righteousness, and um, lo- righteousness and loving kindness. In these things I delight. In other words, I quote that verse because it fits in with just what you were saying. Amen. That's the only way to know Him. To know Him is to 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 really love the things that He is. Amen. I, I say this with passion because. It's because so real you know to me. Is is that uh, the more this is true in my life, the more it explodes. Amen, amen, brother. Thank you, uh, brother Emery uh, Emery and, and sister Marcia. It's Marcia first, and then Emery. Okay. Uh, oh, well, all right. Yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. There were a few things what you said about the intellectual. Yes. And I've you know I've known a lot of people. From, where, from the Church of Christ. And one of the things that you'll often hear when somebody's intellectual is 
do you know how long I've been doing this? Oh. You know, <laughs> you, uh, you could just hear the pride. And I would respond, and it still has no effect on you? Amen. Simmer but the, down. The other thing I was thinking of as I was reading the book last night is we can never fully know God. Mm-hmm. We can never because we are so limited mm-hmm. in our understanding. All we know is these earthly bodies. Mm-hmm. And when we think of God, we often confuse him with that long-haired, white-haired man mm-hmm. in the sky. And yet he's so much more that our minds cannot even conceive. And I think of Moses as God hid him in the cleft of the rock. Amen. And he could only see his shadow. And that was just an inkling, Amen. just a small bit of how great and powerful God is. Amen. Amen. Thank you, my sister. Marcia? Yeah. And then Marva, brother? You touch on um, intellectualism and, um, you know, knowing, knowing God. Uh, I thought about First John. It says, if we say that we have fellowship with him, meaning that we have a deep, intimate relationship with him, if you say you have that with God, who is light, and you practice sin, you walk in darkness. Amen. God says, you are lying at him. Amen. Because if we have deep intimacy, a relationship with him, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with him, but not only with him, but with one another. Because you are doing the same thing, and I'm doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. And so that, in the rest from just flippantly, outright, practicing, and living in sin, because the grace of God that saves us also teaches us to deny ungodliness. Amen. Amen. Marcia, no, we can keep going. Uh, no, Marcia, sorry. No, uh, Marva. No, I was just also thinking most of the people that cannot know God or say they do not know God, or there is this intellectualism that prevents us from really knowing God. It's because we do not want to obey him. Mm. Obedience is a big problem because if we were to accept the knowledge that a God does exist, mm-hmm. then we should be doing the things he says in the scripture. Amen. And we don't want to follow him. Mm-hmm. And we don't want to walk in the light. Man loves darkness rather than light. Amen. So that I think the lack of obedience or the desire not to have to obey or face him is one of the biggest problems. Amen. Yeah, to know God, just, just echoing what I said earlier, to know God is to know our obligation to him. Amen. So we have laid the foundation to now breeze through his attributes. Just kidding. But talk about his attributes now. So when we talk about the attributes of God, we are talking about the character of God. The character of God. They are one and the same. God is as he is like. 
or God is what he is like. If you want a third way, who God is is how he is. Brother Frank, give me one second, but let me, I'll circle back to you. Augustine says God's attributes are not characteristics that are added to his essence, nor are they separate parts that join together, compose his essence. Compose essence. Rather, each attribute is true of the totality of God's essence. Thus, the divine attributes cannot be separated from God's essence. So, I'm sure you guys heard it said, he is not... He doesn't merely love, but he is love, right? Like, it's not merely an action, it's who he is. Who can understand that? God help us. It's too great for us to understand. But before I go on, brother, you have something to say? No, I was gonna, Aquinas says God is to be, to be. So, uh. so it's exactly what you're saying. It's, he, he is what is good. He mm. is love. So it's exactly what you said. Amen, amen. So in order to make the attributes of God more digestible, if you will, like to how to comprise them in an orderly manner, let's classify them into two categories. That first category is the incommunicable attributes of God, and that is the attributes that God does not share or communicate with others. And the second is the communicable attributes of God. Those that he shares or communicates with us. While meditating upon the incommunicable attributes, which are like God's eternality, his omniscience, omnipresence, omnipotence. Obviously, none of us are none of the above. Um, I don't know. I, I thought about his holiness. But like with the Hebrew definition of holy being like his otherness. Like God is so other that he's so unlike us. Therefore, his attributes must by necessity be incommunicable. Because we are not like God in that sense that God is. That makes sense? I kind of just lost myself in that. Brother, pass the bar. One of the arguments that um, R.C. Sproul would always make in his book, The Holiness of God, mm. and Arthur W. Pink makes in his book, The Attributes of God, is that, yes. you know, God is not, doesn't just have love, but he has a holy love. Amen. God doesn't just have wrath, but he has a holy wrath. Yes. God just doesn't have a righteousness, but a holy righteousness. Amen. You know, every aspect of God's character is distinct from ours. It's when we talk about communicable attributes, and that is we possess the image of God. Mm -hmm. We, and especially now being filled with the Spirit, we can manifest these attributes um, to some degree. Yes. Never to the extent of God, but to glorify Him and reflect Him as, as was intended. Years. Amen. Amen. And to that point, Bob, like, I forgot who it is. Maybe you remember. Um, it, it was a figure in church history who, um, in his commentary on the holiness of God, kind, like, he not necessarily exalted the holiness of God. What's it called? Like the tri triagon or something like that? Like the holy, holy, holy said twice, right? Um, in Isaiah, the second in, in Revelation. Um, that is, it's the one attribute of God that is like emphasizing God's word. And he said, and I'm paraphrasing, that the, holy, that, that, that the holiness of God 
or the, yeah, the holiness of God is almost like the glory or the glitter of all of his other attributes. Yeah, this is R.C. Sproul. If you read his book, The Holiness of God, yeah. all of that is there. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Amen. That, 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 if, if there's one uh, besides the classic we're reading on Wednesday nights, mm-hmm. The Holiness of God is an utter classic that oh, absolutely. everybody should read. Absolutely. And the next, thank you, brother. The next is uh, just a few comments on the communicable attributes with Pastor Bob. Uh, just touched on the way I like to think about those uh, um, in his statement concerning as far as being image bearers and like resembling God, if you will, obviously not perfectly, um, but the communicable attributes of God are those that he shares with us. And I like to say those that mirror our maker. I don't know. I'm a, I'm a hip hop guy. So I to kind of think like this. <laughs> mirror our maker so in the sense that they, they, they bear witness of him as far no how was it so those are, those those attributes are that are those that demonstrate that we are indeed his image bearers that is like the ability to love the ability to exercise justice or mercy um, the ability to attain and gain knowledge etc these are communicable attributes so I have arrived to my conclusion. I've arrived to my conclusion. I, I want to leave you with, again, the intention of this study. And that is to, with God's help and only by God's grace, is uh, stir us all, uh, God help us, to seek the face of God more intimately, not being content with the menu. Not being content with the menu. So there's a point to make that many others had make has made. That although, as Sister Marcia said, that we have been given the word through which we are to know and grow in our knowledge of God. But we something that we really have to understand is that God Himself is the ultimate determiner of our knowing Him. That He must be pleased to reveal himself to us. He must be pleased to reveal himself to us. And if that is so, as I truly believe it is so, then my question to you all is, how does that affect your prayer life? If God must be pleased to manifest himself to you, reveal himself to you, and you truly desire to know him, how does that radically change your prayer, your prayer life? Something that I noticed, and I only, I only uh, uh, comprised a few, but Thomas Aquinas, speaking of, the, of his, quote, beatific vision, speaking that God must be the one pleased to reveal himself to you, he says... The created intellect cannot see the essence of God unless God, by his grace, unites himself to the created intellect as an object made intelligent to it. We will, he says, we will have a more perfect knowledge of God by grace than we do by natural reason. That's nice. There, there, there's a, um, um, 
Uh, Pastor Bob mentioned A.W. Pink, The Attributes of God. I read that. Tozer, The Knowledge of the Holy. Martin Lloyd-Jones commenting, uh, uh, commenting on, on, on God. And also Paul, Paul Washer, his Knowing the Living God. And literally, the, the, the introduction to every single book is, you cannot know God unless he reveals himself to you. Amen. <laughs> I mean, if it doesn't say, Lord God, let me just, let me just say, close like this way that it should affect our prayer life so help us God we should be crying out to God like the psalmist and saying open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things in your your word and what is most wondrous than Christ himself what is more, more wonderful than Christ himself so may the Lord help us believe the following promise and in believing this promise that it may kindle an earnest desire to seek his face and that is found in Jeremiah 29 13 that if you seek me you shall find me when you seek me with all of your heart may it be so let's pray Father, you have done it once again, Father God, and I thank you. You have carried me through, Lord. You have carried me through, Father. Thank you. Father, I acknowledge that I am a mere vessel, Father God, corrupt at that, and that any good, Father God, any effectual anything, Father God, must come from you. And this is our simple prayer, Father God, that you may be pleased to use this message to stir in us, to kindle in us, Father. And I ask that you start with me, Lord. I ask that you start with me. That you kindle in us all, Father God, a holy, zealous, jealous, earnest, earnest desire to seek to know you more intimately and more experientially, Father. We beg this of you, Father, in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, guys, and God bless.